Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. So I struggled a little bit this week on what to, what to preach on. We, we just came out of a series on worship, and, uh, and we ended that. And we had a week in between where uh, Randy King came. Wasn't he awesome? Uh, he, he really uh, had a great word for us. And so this week I've been trying to figure out, okay, where do we go from here? And I really struggled. And the Lord began speaking to me personally about humility. And so I figured if he's speaking to me about humility, then all of y'all get to hear some of it too, right? If he's, if, he's, if he's reprimanding me, then you guys get a taste of it as well. So I want to speak to you today about humility. And as I was, as I was praying, I really just feel with the way the world is ha- going on right now, with the things happening within our, in our world, um, all of the political stuff, all of the, uh, even the, the war and, the, and the, the, those sorts of things, the, the conflicts, with all of those things happening in the world, um, it's easy to, let, let me say it this way, I feel like the way through all of that is through humility. It's through humility. To win the battles that we face, whether they're personal or they're corporate, I feel like the way through all of that is through walking in humility. Now, Webster's Dictionary of Humility uh, what it says about humility, it may seem kind of contrary to think that humility is the way to win those battles, right? Because when we think of humility, we think of meekness and being mild and all of those things. Biblical humility is not the same humility that Webster's gives us. And I want to show you that today uh, in scripture. Amen. I'm going to start actually at the end of my notes today that uh, my notes, if you were to see them, normally I'm fairly organized. This week, I am just all over the place. So, so bear with me. I'm going to do my best here. We're going to start actually in Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, while they were at Hazoreth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us as well? But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. So immediately the Lord called to Moses and Aaron and Miriam and said, go not or go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. So the three of them went out to the tabernacle. Then the Lord descended in the pillar of of in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called, they stepped forward and the Lord said to them, now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not with my servant Moses of all my house. He is the one that I trust. I speak to him face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant, Moses? I want to give you a few attributes of a humble person today. And that's how we're going to walk through this passage. Number one, the humble person, the humble man doesn't fight for his own honor. 
but instead walks honorably. He doesn't fight for his own honor, but instead he displays his honor. You have in the story here, Moses, and it says that Miriam and Aaron began to criticize Moses. They were upset with Moses. They didn't like the way he was doing things. But notice Moses doesn't react or respond to the criticism. Instead, Moses walks out his honor. He displays his honor and allows the Lord. And here's what happens. When, when instead of fighting for your honor and you walk out your honor, then the Lord comes in and defends you. You don't have to defend yourself when you walk honorably. The Lord will defend you. I'll tell you a, a story. Actually, I could tell several stories on this. I know several. I've, I've watched this throughout uh, my, my just time and being in ministry and then also even just witnessing some even in the business world of people who were wronged, whose, whose uh, honor, whose character, whose credibility was spoken ill against wrongly, right? There was rumors that started. There was bad things that happened. There was things that were accredited to them that were not true. And they had the opportunity to defend themselves and honestly, the right to defend themselves, right? If it was untrue, then they have a right to defend their name and their honor, but they chose instead to remain quiet and allowed their integrity to do the talking. Now, in, in these situations, that person, those people ended up leaving those organizations or those places and they left the right way, right? The people were criticizing them. People were spreading rumors. They left those places with their mouth closed and allowed their character and their honor to defend them. And they waited patiently. Eventually, years later, people began walking up to these people. And again, I, I'm being vague because there's several instances where I've seen this. They walk up to them and they tell them, hey, uh, I remember way back when I heard this about you. But, but I'm starting to learn that that wasn't true. I'm starting to learn that. That that was a lie about you. That that was that was just jealousy speaking. And and little by little, people began realizing the truth was found out. The Lord began revealing the truth and began justifying those people because they walked humbly. They let their character do the talking instead of fighting for their honor. They allowed their honor to be displayed. And that's what you see here with Moses. He didn't fight for his honor. Instead, he just walked honorably. Later on in the, in the verse, in I think it's verse 7, when God is talking to the three of them, he says, I trust Moses. I trust Moses. That of all of the prophets and all of the people in the land, I speak to Moses face to face because I know I can trust him. He allowed his integrity and his honor to do the talking. And because of that, the Lord came in and defended Moses. So number one, number one, the honorable man doesn't fight for his honor, but instead walks honorably. Amen. Hey, I'm going to need some help today. So amen. Amen. Thank you. He walks honorably. Number two, 
the humble man is confident in who he is. Now, again, this kind of goes against the grain of what the world would define humility, because usually when you think of somebody who is humble, you don't think of confidence, right? But look again at this verse. I love, I love how Moses writes this here because he says in verse, in verse 3, verse 3, he says, but the Lord heard them. And it says, now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. And what's funny about this verse is Moses was the one who wrote it. The most humble man on earth wrote that he was the most humble man on earth, right? It's, it's kind of like John, right? John, in, in the book of John, writes that, uh, um, that he was uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? If you, write, if you get to write your own book, you get to, to talk about, uh, you get to uh, tell everybody what you want them to think about you, right? So Moses says, I am the most humble man on earth. Confidence. He knew who he was. People who walk in humility know who they are. They're confident in who they are. Again, humility. Moses is the most humble man on earth. Normally we think of hum humility as being meek and mild. But Moses' entire life, his entire leadership, every, all, the entire time he was in leadership, what, all he did was stand against authorities. First it starts with the taskmaster in Egypt, Right? They were, they were whipping, he was whipping the Israelites and Moses stands in front of the taskmaster and goes toe to toe with him. But yet he's so meek and mild, right? Then he goes out and he's in the desert and, and there's the, the tribe, I forget the name of the tribe. There's a tribe that's picking on a lady in the desert and he stands up to that tribe and goes toe to toe with them. Then he goes back to Egypt and he stands toe-to-toe -to -toe with the most powerful man on earth at the time, the Pharaoh. Confident in who he is. Humility. He says he's the most humble man on earth. But it does, he, he doesn't sound too meek and mild to me, right? He's standing against the authority, those who are in power. And he goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. He even, many times, even goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Lord himself. When the Lord is ready to just get rid of all of the Israelites, right? Because of their complaining and their grumbling and the Lord is just fed up and he's like, I'm just gonna open the earth up and just swallow them all whole. Amen, aren't you glad you live in the New Testament? <laughs> and Moses stands and he stands in the gap and, he's, and he asks the Lord to stop and he, he tells the Lord, in fact, he even says that if this is the way it's going to end, then just go ahead and take me out of the story. Doesn't sound like a very meek and mild person, yet the Bible says that he is the most humble man to walk the earth. Humility is not crumbling under authorities. It's not submission Humility is actually walking in the confidence and knowing who you are. It's knowing who you are. Amen? It's knowing who you are. Um, I have some more on that that we might get to here in just a little bit. Let's go ahead and go to number three. The humble man blesses those who curse them. 
The humble man blesses those who curse him. Again, we see this with Moses here in this story. That Miriam and Aaron were criticizing Moses. And they were unhappy with the job he was doing and they were criticizing him. But then you go on down a little bit further in the chapter and you see where the Lord confronts them. And it says, it says that because of Miriam and Aaron's speaking against the Lord's anointed, because they were speaking against Moses, it says that leprosy came upon Miriam and that she became a leper because of the way she spoke about Moses. But look here at verse 13. It says, so Moses cried out to the Lord, oh God, I beg you, please heal her. That this woman who was speaking ill of him and who was criticizing him and who was coming against his leadership, she gets sick and instead of crying out for justice, Moses cries out for her healing. Moses cries out for her wholeness. That the humble man does not speak against those who curse him, but rather he blesses those who curse him. He blesses those who criticize him. He speaks, he speaks good over those who come against him. Which is much easier said than done, isn't it? When you're being attacked, when you feel like you're being belittled, when you're being lied about, our instinct is to come against it and to push against it and cry out for justice. But what we're actually asked to do is turn around and bless and not curse. There's New Testament examples of this, right? When you are striked on your cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. That we bless those who curse us. Amen. The honorable man blesses those who curse him. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this one. The humble man lives for another. What, what was it that made Moses so humble? What was it that made him the most humble man on earth? Because obviously, again, he wasn't, he wasn't submissive. He wasn't meek. He stood against the most powerful men on the earth. So what was it that made Moses so humble? I want to argue that Moses was humble because he lived his life for another. He lived his life not for his own benefit or gain, but he lived his life for another. Let's look now in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, which is where I planned on starting today, but we're going to go here now instead. Romans chapter 12. It says, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I could stop right there with that question and send you home just to ponder that one thought. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? What should be our response to the gospel? What should be our response to the cross? 
What things, I'm asking you these things now to, to think about, what things has he forgiven you of? What life would you be living right now if he hadn't have gone to the cross for you? In light of his mercies, what should our lives look like? How does it change the way we live, think, and make decisions? How does it change the way we treat our friends, our neighbors, and even our enemies? In light of his mercy, how is it affecting your life? Or is it affecting it at all? Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? Paul goes on and tells us what our response should be. He says, I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices. His sacred living sacrifices. And live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. That in light of his mercies, we become a living sacrifice. To be a living sacrifice, or you could say it this way, to live for another. Instead of living this life for yourself, you live for all that delights his heart. Amen? C.S. Lewis says this, he says, humility, you've all heard this before. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, right? Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I think that statement is good and true, and we should absolutely live by that, and that absolutely is humility. But I want to take it a step further. It's not just that we live for others, it's that we specifically live our lives for him. It's not for ourselves and not even necessarily for others, but we live our lives committed to one thing, and that is to be a living sacrifice to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Out of that living sacrifice to him, we will begin to love what he loves right? We'll begin to serve who he serves, which is others. But our, our focus, our attention is giving to living for another, and that other is Jesus Christ himself. Amen? That we live for another. The humble man lives for another. And then it goes on and it says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. How does the culture act? Self-promotion, self-indulgence, self-gratification. If someone wrongs you, you wrong them back. If someone hurts you, you hurt them back. Life is about making sure that you live fulfilled and happy right? That's the way the world thinks. It's all about self, self-promotion, self-indulgence, self-gratification. Then Paul comes in and he says, let the Holy Spirit come in and change the way you think, the reformation, make a, a reformation of the way you think. This is actually what repentance is. Repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means to change the way you think. It's not just about asking for forgiveness for your sins. It's actually about revolutionizing the way you process things, about the way you think. It's changing the way you think. And so this is what the Holy Spirit says. 
that we go from living a life for ourselves and we change. We allow the Holy Spirit to transform our minds to where now we are focused on another, that our life becomes a living sacrifice. We go from sacrificing everyone and everything around us to fulfill our own desires to becoming the sacrifice to fulfill his desires. Amen. Instead of self-promotion, we begin to declare, as John did, he must increase and I must decrease. Then Paul goes on to say in verse 3 there, he says, God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. Right? So this is all within the context of what should our response be to his marvelous mercies. God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance. Instead, honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement. And then you will see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. That God has given him a grace to speak about pride that we'd be emptied of self-promotion. Paul is saying, in light of God's marvelous mercies, where is there any room for pride? In light of his goodness and his mercies, where is there any room for pride? Let's look at what it looks like to have an image, a false image of self-importance. He says you have a false image of self-importance. What does that look like? A false image of self-importance means you are important because of your title, right? I'm Pastor Josh. I need everybody in the room to call me Pastor Josh so I feel important, right? <laughs> I remember, this is a total side note, uh, a, a guy that was at the ramp, who ministered at the ramp very often, his name was Damon. He was one time asked to be on TBN and speak on TBN. Now you've all watched TBN and, and when they introduce people, they always introduce them like, this is Bishop so-and-so, or this is so-and-so, the prophet to this region or whatever. There's, there's always like these high and mighty titles. And, and Damon, he's like, man, I'm just, I'm really not into titles. And his secretary asked him, he said, well, they're asking like, how do we introduce you? And he's like, I don't care. Just tell them whatever you want. It doesn't matter to me. And so they, they introduced him on TBN. They said, this is Damon Thompson, apostle to the nations. <laughs> he's like, really? Like, like, like the biggest title you could pot, like he's an apostle, prophet, pastor, and evangelist to the entire world. Like, he's like, I don't care about any of those things. And, and, and to be important for a false image of importance, you have to have the title, right? It's, it's feeling that they're having the title in order to feel important. False image of importance. Another false image of importance is feeling important because of the things you do, right? That you do good things for other people, or maybe you're good at uh, basketball, or you're good at your job, or whatever it may be, and there's this feeling of importance because of what you've done, or maybe you've just had success in some area, and because of that, there's this importance uh, that you feel. The problem with this false image of importance is you have to constantly maintain it. You have to constantly maintain that position and that status. And let me tell you, that gets tiring. 
You have to constantly be doing something that you feel others would deem as important. Or you have to constantly live up to the title that is behind your name. And this false sense of importance eventually wears you out. And you have to constantly maintain it. But Paul goes on and he says, he says, find your worth. Let me find it here. He says, instead, honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement. And then you will see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. That your God-given importance, that your God-given worth is this, that you're important not because of your title, not because of your success, not because of the things you do, but you're important because he saw you worthy enough to save. You're important because even though that we fell, we turned our backs on God, we sinned against him, that he still looked at us and said, you're worthy enough for me to go to the cross to redeem you. That he calls you his beloved. That he has invited us into the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. When our worth and our importance comes from that, nothing and no one can take it away. Nothing and no one can demean that. You can't even demean that because your worth and importance comes from another. It comes from the father who looks at you and says, I love you so much that I'm willing to give my own son to sacrifice on a cross so that we can have eternal fellowship together. That is what makes you important. That is what gives you worth. And, and it says that when we find our self-worth from that, that is our true value. Which means any value or importance that we can muster on our own pales in comparison to what our true value actually is. As much as we work for our importance, anything that we can gain on our own, any worth that we can muster up on our own, all of it fails in comparison to the importance that we actually, or the worth that we actually have when we walk in the worth that he gives us. Amen? That our value and our worth comes from him. It says that we find, we walk then, this is where, this is where it all comes back to humility. It says that when we know our true value, that we can now walk in an appropriate self-esteem. What is an appropriate self-esteem? What, what does that look like? What is an appropriate, appropriate self-esteem? Let me tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like walking around defeated. It doesn't look like walking around like a little church mouse. Letting everybody and anybody walk all over you. That's not an appropriate self-esteem. This is what an appropriate self-esteem looks like. An appropriate self-esteem is confidence in who we are as sons and daughters of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. 
What does humility look like? It looks like somebody who knows that they are a son and a daughter of the Most High God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. It looks like somebody who knows where it says in John, where it says that we are loved in the same love to the same measure and degree that Jesus, the perfect lamb, is loved. Humility is not walking around defeated. Humility is walking around confident and knowing that you are a son and daughter of God, walking in the same authority that Jesus himself carries. That's what humility looks like, is confidence. Humility, appropriate, an appropriate self-esteem looks like somebody who is worthy and loved enough that God would send his only son to die on a cross on our behalf. It looks like somebody who walks in the same authority as Jesus, that we walk in the power and authority that raised Christ from the dead. Yet all of this, knowing all of this, with all of this confidence that we have, it is all balanced by this right here, where it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that it is by grace we have been saved, not by our own works, least anyone should boast. That we are confident as sons and daughters of God. That we are confident as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But we also fully realize that we did not attain that status by our own works and measures. But we attain that status by his grace and his grace alone. Amen? So then, how should we respond in light of his marvelous mercies? We walk humbly, living for another confident in who we are as sons and daughters of God and constantly aware of the fact that we can do or the fact that we can do that we can do all of those things not by our own striving or merit but because of his great love and mercy amen i want to finish with this last thought right here we're going to go back to moses and we'll finish it with this here so in the verse that says that Moses was the most humble man in all of the earth, that he so proudly put in the scripture for all of us to read thousands of years later. Many believe that that verse is written in there to tell us why he didn't speak against Miriam and Aaron. That he was humble and therefore he, he, he didn't speak, which is the case, absolutely. But I think that verse really is in there for the preceding verses. It's telling us that he's humble because it's showing us the reward of humility. It shows us the reward of humility. If you remember the verses where Jesus, or where, where the Father, where God is talking to Miriam and Aaron and Moses, and, and one of the complaints that Aaron had against Moses is he said, well, he's not the only prophet we all can hear from God as well. Remember, that was Aaron's complaint. And God's response to that was this. He says, I may have other prophets. And to them, I speak in dreams and visions. He says, to them, I speak in mysteries and riddles. And then it goes on and it says, but to Moses, it says, I trust Moses. Therefore, I speak to Moses face to face. I don't come to Moses in dreams and visions. 
You know, you know that mountain that it talks about? The mountain that in, it, in the Bible it says that, that the Israelites were scared to death of this mountain because it said that if they were to draw close to the mountain or even touch the mountain, that they would die. Yet Moses climbs to the top of the mountain and stands in the very presence of God himself. It says that to everybody else, God speaks in riddles and mysteries. But to Moses, it says he speaks plain. The reward, I believe the reason why it says what it does in there about Moses being the most humble man to walk the earth is, it, is because the Lord is wanting to show us what the reward of walking in humility is, which is intimacy with the Father. That when we walk in humility, when we don't have to defend our own honor, but allow our honor to defend itself, when we, when we uh, live for another and not for ourselves, when we bless those who curse us, when we walk in humility, the reward for that humility is intimacy with the Father. That he speaks to you plain. That he speaks to you face to face and not in riddles. That the reward for humility is presence. The reward for living for another is face to face interaction with the Father. That's why at the beginning of this I said I believe that the answer, how we fight our battles is we walk in humility. Because as we walk in humility, as we walk in the confidence of who we are as sons and daughters, as we walk in that authority, and as we reap the reward of humility of that face-in-face -face interaction with the Father, I believe then the Lord is going to direct our paths and know how to respond in the face of criticism. We will know how to respond in the face of opposition. We will speak blessings instead of cursings. And through that, find redemption. And through that, draw men unto him. The reward for humility is presence. And let me tell you, there's no greater reward. There's no greater reward than intimacy with the Father. There's no greater reward than presence and being able to speak to the Lord face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and just stand together. Thank you, Jesus. I want to go ahead and just pray right now. And I'm going to pray this over myself and over anybody else who, who needs this prayer. And if it's you, then I want you just to lift your hands. But I'm just going to pray for a grace to walk in true humility. So Jesus, we come to you right now. And Father, we ask that you would strip us of all pride and all arrogance. God, you would strip us from false confidence. Father, that we would understand the scripture that it was by grace that we are saved.
not by our own works, our own merit. At least any of us should boast. But Father, your mercies, your marvelous mercies that saved us and gave us the title sons and daughters of God. Father, that we walk in our authority in you, not because we've earned it, but because you chose to give it to us. So, Father, I pray once again that you would strip us of all false pride, all false uh, arrogance, all false importance. God, and you would baptize us in humility. Not so that we would be meek and mild, but so that we can walk in true confidence. So that we can walk with a proper self-esteem. Which isn't feeling low but is actually feeling confident in who we are as sons and daughters, but understanding that all of it comes to us because of your grace and your mercy and your love. God, I pray that you would help us walk in that humility. God, that you would teach us how to bless those who curse us. God, that, our, that you would help guard our tongues, Lord Jesus. God, that there would not be anything vile that comes from our mouths, Lord, that we would not speak ill of others, Father, but Lord, that what comes out of our mouth would be blessing, would be productive, would be encouraging. God, that we would see other people as you see them, Jesus. God, that we would see them through your eyes. Father, that you'd give us the grace and the strength to walk in that, Father, to walk in blessings and not cursings. God, that you would give us the strength to walk out our honor and our character. God, that we would not have to defend our honor, but that we would instead be able to display our honor. That when, that when other people would come against our character and our honor, that, that our, our character and honor would be so displayed that others would say that there's, there's no way. God, let us walk honorably. Let us walk in humility. Let us walk confidently knowing we are your sons and daughters. Help us to have an appropriate self-esteem. And knowing our worth and who you are. God, we thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for us. We love you so much, Lord. God, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen.